Hey, we want to thank you for listening today to a sermon from Edwards Lake Church. And we hope that you recognize the message of God as we open his word together and examine his incredible life-changing teaching. We pray that this message will challenge you, motivate you, or touch you in some way. Let's open the Bible together. Evening. We are back in the Mark Your Bible series. We've been about two months away from that, uh, so we are back in that. So uh, hopefully you saw that on the back of your bulletin today and you brought your Bible. If not, the verses are on the back of the bulletin. You can fill them in later. Luckily, this is one of the shorter ones. That does not mean a shorter sermon, but it is one of the shorter uh, tracks through the Bible, and uh, that won't be hard for you to fill out a little bit later. The topic for tonight's discussion is the roles of men and women, and I don't know how much talking you've done with people from the denominational world or just in our modern American culture, but there is a lot of debate and discussion about what the roles of men and women should be and as you are probably aware, the biblical direction for this is not always the most easily accepted or popular position because the Bible does teach very clear roles that are different for men and women. And we live in a culture that has, uh, in a lot of ways in our modern world, even tried to muddy the water uh, between the differences between men and women. Uh, but even before that, for many decades, we've had very much a, a progression of ideas that men and women are exactly the same in all roles, and therefore there is nothing that a man should and can do that a woman shouldn't also be able and uh, be, be, be placed into position to do. So when the Bible teaches that there are differences, and the Bible teaches that the responsibilities of men are different than the responsibilities of women, that is oftentimes balked at, uh, derided, or even that is the single reason I have heard some people will not accept the gospel. It's because they are unwilling to accept a Bible that would teach that women are different than men the way culture is trying to promote. So... It is good to have these verses marked in your Bible so that you can go through a, a short discussion with somebody about what the Bible says about these things because there doesn't really need to be a lot of personal interpretation. There does not need to be a lot of personal opinion presented. You can just go to the verses and let the Bible speak for itself. Now they, uh, the, the student, the person you're talking to, has the choice whether they want to accept that or not. So this is probably not the, the track I would go to to begin a discussion with somebody because if you start with what is unpopular, you get shut ears. Uh, if you start with what is, is common, like many of the first tracks that we went over about believing in the Bible and that the Bible is understandable, uh, you're generally able to get a little bit further with people. But we'll start our study. Now, hopefully, for those of you who have your marking Bibles, uh, we're going to start our study at Galatians chapter 3. So go ahead and open your Bibles there. Galatians chapter 3, and we will read verse 28. Because I do think it is good in any study to start on common ground. And there is a lot of uh, 
honestly, a, a very broad fairness to Scripture regarding men and women, especially when you consider it in the culture in which this is written. When you have passages that read, like Galatians chapter 3, verse 28, there is no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female, since you are all one in Christ Jesus. And when you read passages like that, especially in the culture and the time in which that was written, that was fairly revolutionary. Uh, the idea that, of where women, according to Josephus, had no uh, verifiable witness authority, even in a court of law. It didn't matter what a woman saw that couldn't be used against you because her word didn't count for anything. Well, when you take that understanding of women and you compare it to a passage like Galatians chapter 3, verse 28, you walk away going, wow, the Bible's really progressive. Uh, and in a lot of ways, it was. Because when it comes to the law of God, and when it comes to salvation, and when it comes to being led to Christ, that offer, that grace is available for men and women equally. Because when it comes to the law of Christ, there really are no differences in the sense of value. We are all valued in the eyes of God. Years ago, I was, I was a young guy. Uh, we, we had moved to uh, a new state. I don't want to get too specific. What I'm about to say is negative. But we had moved to a new state, and my dad was, was going to start being a preacher. Not knowing the mess he was walking into, that happens sometimes to preachers. Preachers kind of spend that first three to six months going, let me kind of look and see what I'm dealing with here. What my dad was dealing with was this. There was a preacher who was there who had taught that women didn't have souls. That a woman was literally only saved if she bore children for her husband because of a passage over in 1 Timothy chapter 2. And believe that because Adam was created by God and God breathed the breath of life into Adam, that was God-given man souls. But because woman was made from the rib of Adam, and it never says God breathed the breath of life into her, that women literally had no souls, and therefore they had to be saved only by being attached to a man. That's wrong, by the way, in case anybody's wondering. And we know that's wrong because the passage is like this. In God's eyes, when it comes to the offer of salvation, for which you need a soul, there is no difference between men and women. That's important. In any discussion where we get into talking about roles of men and women, we are not ever at liberty to say that a man is more valuable, that a man is more important, that a man, uh, God likes men more than women, that God saves men before he saves women, any of that kind of stuff. Because God values every soul. And God makes the same offer of salvation to every soul. But that does not mean 
that God thinks that a man and a woman should be doing or responsible for the same things. And so as we get into a discussion on the difference between the roles and responsibilities, that is not the same thing as a discussion on the value. And make sure you separate those two. Our next passage is 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 11 and 12. Again, showing the value of both, it says here in this discussion, uh, in the context of the, the head covering discussion, it says, In the Lord, however, woman is not independent of man, and the man is not independent of the woman. For just as woman came from man, so man comes through woman, and all things come from God. And so again, even, even in this concept of how we originated from God, that God, yes, created a man and then fashioned a woman from his rib. So in that sense, man or woman comes from man, right? But every single one of us men sitting in this room today came from a woman. And we wouldn't exist had we not come from a woman. And so there's a sense in which we are sharing the responsibility of origination. We are not independent of each other. We depend on one another in order to function and exist. And so again, we must have that relationship. Now, Ephesians chapter 5, we're going to start getting into some of the differences. Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 25. You really start back at verse 22 to get the full context. Uh, it says, Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, because the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. He is the Savior of the body. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives are to submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her to make her holy, cleansing her with the washing of water by the word. He did this to present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or anything like that, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands are to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hates his own flesh, but provides and cares for it, just as Christ does for the church, since we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This mystery is profound, but I am talking about Christ and the church. To sum up, each of you is to love his wife as himself, and the wife is to respect her husband. Now notice there are some differences here. Uh, if you kind of dig into this a little bit, you'll notice that men and women are given complementary but different roles in the marriage relationship, different responsibilities here. That a wife's job to bring peace and unity to the marriage is to submit to her husband the way that the church submits to Christ. And that a husband's job or role or responsibility to bring peace and unity to a marriage 
is to lead his wife in, a, in the same way and to love his wife in the same way that Christ did the church. Those are different but complementary functions. One does not work without the other, as I have had pointed out to me many times in various marriage debates. As I sit down with a couple who is struggling to get along and they do not have peace and unity in their relationship. And it is amazing how often, like 100% of the time, their problems can be traced back to not doing what is said here. Every, I mean, I'm only 41. I don't have the, the, the marriage counseling experience that, that some of my elders do or some of my uh, uh, mentor preachers might have. But in my experience, 100% of the time, the failing is found in this passage. Now, it's also found in other passages, but you find the failing right here. Either the woman has decided she will not submit to the man like that. Generally, it's expressed something similar to that. Or the man's going, uh, well, she's not going to do what I ask her to do anyway. Neither one of those are approaching the relationship the same way the church and Christ would approach their relationship. Neither one. So what's great about the way God designed this is that if each one is doing their part, this can't fail. That's what's amazing about the marriage relationship. If, if a man is willing to love his wife sacrificially and lead her the direction that he is sure they should go, not the direction he wants them to go, not the direction that, that selfishly he, he kind of is, is preferable toward, but leads them in the direction that is sure, the, the direction that is based on truth. If he will lead her lovingly that direction... I know very few women who wouldn't submit to that. That's the way this works. We must do the job we've been given to do. And, and, and it is amazing. It, it, this isn't something I see only among Christians either. I've known many non-Christians that have very successful and loving relationship because they, for whatever reason, have learned this principle, whether it's by people that they've watched or whether it's just by reading marriage books or just general advice because they all tend to pretty much give this same advice, uh, that, that, that idea of, of leading and following, loving and submitting, that that relationship, it always works. And we shouldn't be surprised that God's way always works. Here's the problem, though. You get into a relationship where you, one side's not doing their job. It's hard to lead somebody who won't submit. It's hard to submit to somebody who doesn't love you. It's hard to have a true, genuine, peaceful, united relationship when you're not on the same page, when you're not going the same direction. 
and that's what makes this hard sometimes. It is also odd that I have never seen it work when you reverse the roles. Ever. I've never seen a woman lead in a marriage and that lead to positive uh, outcomes. And I've never seen a submissive man who refuses to lead ever lead to a positive marriage relationship, ever. And I think one of the reasons for that, and there's a book uh, called Love and Respect. Uh, I I can't remember the author's name off the top of my head, but it's it's an excellent book on marriage. And it is based off of this passage. And, And he goes through studies and statistics of how it all works and why it works. But what's interesting is, when you really boil it down, most women want to be loved more than any other thing. If you give them a survey, women want to be loved, men want to be respected. It's the way it works. That's why men work as hard as they do at their job, to to climb that ladder, to, to be successful. It's not because they want these employees or these fellow co-workers to to love them and treat them tenderly do we we want respect we want someone to respect us we want to earn that respect and very few women really want to come down with an iron fist on the world around them because they want to be loved and if the marriage relationship is done where each part is doing their individual responsibilities and doing them the way God says to do them because that is what God has placed in us as men and women to desire most, then the marriage relationship will work. Our next passage, Colossians chapter 3, verse 18 and 19. Another passage here about Marriage, and it says, Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives, and do not be bitter toward them. Now, that, that's similar to what we've already read over in Ephesians, but it is interesting that there's a couple of details, one detail added to each side of the marriage relationship, if you've noticed. Wives, submit. But don't submit carte blanche. Don't submit no matter what he says. Submit how? As is fitting in the Lord. Because what you've got to remember is your job first is to serve and submit to your Lord. And then your job second is to serve and submit to your husband as is fitting in the Lord. If your husband asks you to do something that is not fitting in the Lord, you are welcome to say no. Husband, the thing that's added for you is do not be bitter toward your wives. There's a lot of discussion as you go and look at commentaries and articles and such about what, why that statement is there. You know, do we husbands have a tendency to be bitter? I'm just going to give you a, 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 a blanket statement. Yes, we do. We do. 
and that's probably more pronounced for some men than it is for other men, but for instance, we men tend to be achievement-oriented. I'm achievement-oriented. I'll give you an example from my own life since my wife isn't here. Um, for, here's a for instance. I do not enjoy sitting down at night and watching TV. I don't. It's not my thing. I, I, it feels deeply down to my soul like a waste of time especially if we're watching something we've already seen, and I'm like, I already know where this is going. That just, it's not my thing. It's not what I enjoy. I, I'm, a, I'm a worker. I would much rather go down to the office and get two, you know, a couple of hours of worth of things done or, or get up, you know, as soon as the kids go to bed, I'd rather go to the kitchen, get all the dishes done, the kitchen cleaned up and done so that I'm not doing that at the last thing because once I sit down, you know what's going to happen? That, that's what I do. Because it's not my thing. But it is my wife's thing. My wife likes to, after she has been running, after five children, all day long, she's been on her feet, she's barely even had time to find a time to go to the restroom. That when she is would kids have, have disappeared because they've all gone to their bedroom. She likes to sit and do nothing. And she likes me to do it with her. I mean, if it was just her thing to sit, that, but she wants me to be there with her, which I guess is sweet. When I get behind on things and I'm, I'm not feeling like I'm getting all the things accomplished in my office that I need to get accomplished and I've got a to-do list that keeps growing and I know tomorrow's going to already be a hard day, I have to make myself not feel bitter about sitting and, and loving my life by sitting with her. And that is a choice I have to make. She could give you hundreds of examples of things that I do to frustrate her. But I don't see her grow bitter the way I naturally have to control in my heart and in my mind. And, and I think it is just one of those differences between men and women. Maybe I'm wrong. You women, you're welcome to come up to me afterwards and go, no, no, <laughs> we get bitter too. I mean, you're, uh, just be careful because I might tell your husbands. Um, so, you know, it, it is something to, to remember. We've got to be careful. We've got to be careful, husbands, that you love your wives sacrificially. And let me tell you, that is the answer to the problem of bitterness. If you will love your wife sacrificially, you don't grow bitter. It is when you do what you have to do begrudgingly that you grow bitter. But that's still self-serving. That's not sacrificial love. So to me, that, that my understanding of where that statement comes from that Paul adds here, love your wives and do not be bitter toward them. 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 through 7. 1 Peter 3, 1 through 7. 
For in the same way, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands, so that even if some disobey the word, they may be won over without a word by the way their wives live, when they observe your pure, reverent lives. Don't let your beauty consist of outward things like elaborate hairstyles and wearing gold jewelry, but rather what is inside the heart, the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For in the past, the holy women who put their hope in God also adorned themselves in this way, submitting to their own husband, just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. You have become her children when you do what is good, and do not fear any intimidation. We're going to stop there. I want to read verse 7 in a moment. But here, very similar teachings, but they are teachings given in a different context. Did you notice that? In Ephesians 5 and over in Colossians, we're dealing with wives that we assume means wives, you Christian wives, who are married to Christian husbands. So you've got a double-sided working relationship there where a woman submits to her husband, the husband loves his wife, and the relationship works. What do you do when one side isn't doing their part? That's the example we have here. A wife who is married to a man who is not committed to the word, which I would assume would mean he is also not committed to Christ. What do you do? The same You submit. You respect. You treat your husband respectfully. Notice, you don't nag him. You don't sit there and pester him. You don't beat him over the head with the word of God. You don't find everything you could say. You don't point out all his deficiencies and all the ways he's not like those Christian men at church. You don't bear down on him. You win him over without a word by the way you are devoted yourself to your God as an example of what it means to truly love God. You do it through respect and submission. And and that, that I think, is important for us to see, to notice, to realize. Uh, It's important for us to see that God's plan works even if one side or the other is, is, is struggling, you still do what you're supposed to do. I have heard so many women over the years go, well, he won't step up and lead, so somebody has to. Is that what it says here? Absolutely not. If he won't step up and lead, you respectfully submit anyway, as is fitting in the Lord. And that's important to notice. I think the same principle would be true on the flip side. If you've got a man who is married to a non-Christian wife, your job is to continue to lovingly lead. And if there are times when she refuses to respectfully submit, you still lovingly lead. You know how I know that's true? Because there are times when I, as a member of the church, do not respectfully submit to my Lord, yet he still continues to lovingly lead me. And if I am to love my wife the way Christ loved the church, 
I fail Christ, my wife might fail me, I still must play the role and have the character of my Savior in that relationship. Reading on, verse 7, husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way, as with a weaker vessel, showing them honor as co-heirs of the grace of life so that your prayers will not be hindered. CSB says weaker partner, but I like the phrase, the, the more literal phrase, weaker vessel there, because it implies something. A weaker vessel does not imply weakness, it implies preciousness. Okay, we, for many, many years, move after move, had to very safely and carefully wrap every piece of china. And then when we got to the new house and got the cabinet in place, we had to carefully unwrap every piece of china and put it back in so it could stay there until we moved again because we never used it, right? We eventually, I eventually talked my wife into, if, as long as I'm a preacher, this is going to your mom's warehouse. We're not going to move it anymore because I was afraid it was all going to get broken. Why, was I afraid, why do we treat china so delicately? Because it's precious. Not because it is weak, not because it's in, uh, not valuable, it's not because it is of, of lesser worth, it's because it is of more worth because of its delicateness. And you have the same principle here. Husband, live with your wives in an understanding way. Treat her delicately. Treat her as something precious. So precious that, and I, I don't know if you've ever really paid attention to the last part of that verse, because if you don't, your prayers will be hindered before God. You want to know how important the marriage relationship is to God, that a man love his wife as Christ loved the church, that he lead her the right direction, that he take that job of treating her well and treating her as something precious. God says, if you don't, I won't listen to your prayers. That's a pretty bold promise, is it not? Scary promise. We talk sometimes about why God might not hear our prayers. Maybe it's because you're not being the kind of husband you should be. Have you ever thought about that? That's not our, our go-to answer. But is it not scriptural? Your prayers can be hindered if you're not treating your wife in an understanding way. That, that makes them pretty valuable in God's sight, does it not? And I think we need to make sure that they're pretty valuable in our own sight. Women are told to be submissive. Men told to be understanding. 1 Timothy chapter 2, 11 through 13. 1 Timothy 2, 11 through 13. Moving on to the way we act and our roles and responsibilities in the church. Just like in the home they are different, they are different in the church. A woman is to learn quietly with full submission. I do not allow a woman to teach or to have authority over a man. Instead, she is to remain quiet. If you read on there, it gives a couple of principles. I'm not sure why I stopped with 13, but 
for Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and transgressed, but she'll be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with good sense. Okay? Here you've got a principle of even in the church, a man and a woman have a different role. And it reflects the role that is in the home. I want you to see that. If a man's job in the home is to lead his wife and, and to direct her in the right direction because he is a leader in the home, there's no reason why that wouldn't also be true in the church, that he is to lead his wife in the knowledge of Scripture, in the knowledge of God, and in her relationship. Those roles are different. A woman's job, like in the home, is to submit to the man, and a man's job is to lead the woman. Uh, it goes on to say that again over in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. I, I wanted to show the one in Timothy first because people like to explain away the one in 1 Corinthians 14 because of the present distress or because of the, 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 the wacky nature of the way that they uh, engaged in worship in Corinth. And so it's just Paul correcting a problem for this one group, and it wasn't a, a problem or a direction for all Christians. Well, 1 Timothy kind of puts the, uh, the nicks on that argument. But if you read here, verse 34 through 37, it says here, the women should be silent in the churches, for they are, not to or they are not permitted to speak, but are to submit themselves as the law says. If they want to learn something, let them ask their own husbands at home, since it is disgraceful for a woman to speak in the church. Or did the word of God originate from you, or did it come to you only? If anyone thinks he is a prophet or spiritual, he should recognize that what I write to you is the Lord's command. And so we've got a principle here of a woman, again, learning in quietness. Okay? Now, I will say, just for the sake of context, if you read all of 1 Corinthians 14, there are several scenarios where it tells someone to be silent. Okay? That does not necessarily mean, and I hate when people sound like they're explaining away the Bible, that I'm saying read the chapter in context. The chapter in context is saying there are times when it is appropriate to speak and there are times when it is appropriate to be silent. When it comes to teaching, it is the man's appropriateness to speak and it is a woman's appropriateness to be silent in those scenarios. Uh, if there are more than one uh, prophet it is appropriate for them to speak one at a time and for the others to be silent. If a man is speaking in tongues, but there is no interpreter, it is appropriate for that man to stay silent and not speak in the tongues without the interpreter present. There, there are several scenarios in this chapter where it talks about people being silent. That does not mean that as soon as a woman walks through the doors of, that, of the building that she has to keep her lips zipped. That, that's not the point. If it were, our women need to quit singing. Our women need to quit being in, in any way vocal whatsoever. And that, that's not what it's saying. It is saying, similar to what Paul tells Timothy, that 
in the, in the way that God has set this up, it is appropriate at times for a woman to speak, and it is inappropriate at times for a woman to speak. And when a man is teaching, a woman's job is to stay silent. Why? Because she is learning with respect and submission. That, that, that's the point here. That, that, that's what Paul's trying to get at. There are different roles. And if you are not appropriately fulfilling a role, then your job is to, say, is to stay silent. Uh, and, and so that, that's just kind of how uh, all of this is set up. So I encourage you to read the whole chapter there to get, get the whole context. Paul really does sum it up simply, though, with this last verse we'll look at this evening, with this. Back at the beginning of chapter 11 of 1 Corinthians, he says, But I want you to know that Christ is the head of every man, and that the man is the head of a woman, and God is the head of Christ. God set things up in an order because it helps us to understand to whom we are giving deference. It doesn't mean that a man is more important than a woman. It means that a man's job is to lead that woman, and it is a woman's job to respectfully submit. Whether that be in the home or whether that be in the church, the principle stays true. This is how God set it up in order for relationships to work correctly. Okay, everybody? That's, that's the end of my spiel for, for tonight. So, I, I get into all of that because, again, we, we have a, a battle that we fight as Christians between what the world says should be right and wrong and what the Bible says is right and wrong. And, and our tendency, if we're not careful, is to be swayed to think that the way the world wants to do it should be the right way to do it. And, and we start trying to find loopholes and excuses and justification and find ways that we can appease both God and man. Well, let me tell you, that never works, ever. I remember years ago, this is kind of related since it's Father's Day, I, I remember years ago that the big thing that was coming out back when I was an early preacher was uh, the the all positive reinforcement all positive reinforcement and I'll be honest I think they took that more from animal training than they did from child training uh, you know get, always give just have the snack you know, your, your pocket full of snacks and when the dog does something good give them a good snack never punish them you don't want to negatively reinforce anything and so now we kind of feel like we should have a pocket full of snacks for our kids right oh good job you know and, you know what that led to? All positive reinforcement. That was the world's wisdom on how we should raise children. You know, flat out against all of these passages in Scripture that talk about spoil the rod, spoil the child, or that a rod will not, will not kill the child, that, or sometimes maybe you need to kill the child. You know, there are all these statements in the Bible about how important it is to, to negatively punish wrong behavior, especially rebellious behavior so that they can learn to have respect for authority. That, that's the Bible's teaching, but the world's teachings were all positive reinforcement. 
and it has led to a generation of children who are entitled. And we're looking at that now going, that didn't work at all. I mean, look at some of the brat, look at, sorry, we shouldn't say that. Uh, look at some of the, you know, you, you look at even older, uh, the, the, you know, this generation going into the job market today and how few of them uh, don't know how to handle any sort of, of negative feedback and, and they get really upset when something doesn't go exactly the way they thought it should go. And we, we always blame it on, you know, that's what you get when you get participation trophies. No, that's what you get when you don't get punished and, and rebuked and trained the way God says you, could be, you should be trained. That's what that comes from. When we listen to the world's wisdom instead of God's wisdom, it doesn't work. We have a world telling us that men and women should, should both equally work, equally bring in money, equally handle all the home responsibilities, equally do this, equally do that. And marriage relationships are more a disaster than they've ever been. You want to know why? Because we're doing it by the world's way and not God's way. Have you seen how many churches, and by churches I mean denomination, that are having massive turmoil and split? Right now the Southern Baptist Convention is having major, major problems because they have for the last decade and a half started bending the rules on exactly how God says relationships and, and responsibilities should work within the church. And so now they're, they're bearing the brunt of all of these changes they've made because the world's way doesn't work. You want to have a good marriage? Do it the way God says to do it. You want to have a good, functional, thriving church? Build it the way God says to build it. Step up, men, and do the job of leading lovingly. And we will have a church that thrives and does well. But we've got to be willing to dismiss the way the world says we should do things and do them the way God says to do them because honestly, I say this without any hesitation, it's the only way that works. We also have a world that is out there telling us that, that salvation can be achieved a whole lot of different ways. By saying a prayer, by having a feeling in your heart, by, by, by achieving certain goals. You know what? One way works. One. You turn to Jesus on Jesus' rules by Jesus' direction. You repent of your sins. You confess him as Lord. You let him take over and you be baptized into Christ. That's the one way that works. We can't make a lot of other ways. We can't make a lot of other ideas. We can't appease this group and appease that group and try to make everybody friends by just not agreeing, agreeing to disagree. No. Let me tell you, agree with this. That's the only way that works. And so I encourage you, if you've not done what this says to do, if you've not been baptized into Christ, tonight's the night to do so. Uh, if, if we can help you, if we can 
pray for you or if, or if we can guide you through the process of turning your life over to Jesus by being baptized, please come forward and let us know as we stand to sing this song. Thanks for listening and studying God's Word with us. We want to help you draw closer to Jesus as your Lord. If you feel some need as a result of today's message, whether that be a need to seek God's salvation or you are just in the need of prayers, please reach out to us. You can find out more about us, including contact information at edwardslakechurch.org. If you want to continue to open God's word with us, please check out other sermons on our podcast or come visit with us at Edwards Lake Church anytime you can. Thanks again, and we pray God's blessings for you.